I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they might pick me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cock. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Long. Cheers. Welcome back to United States of Dramerica, and I'm very excited to have uh, on the other end of the Zoom a writer, a producer, a director, and a drinker of whiskey, and currently an American in Paris. Welcome to the show, Patrick McManus. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to speak with you again, and, and um, if your partner on the other podcast is listening, this just already is off to a much better start. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I, I love nothing more than having. I guess this is like a crossover episode, as you would call it in TV. But when I have somebody on who's on one of my other podcasts, so in which case, obviously, you were on the Hollywood podcast because you are a Hollywood big shot. And um, uh, we, yeah. but I discovered that you like whiskey, so I got you on the whiskey podcast. So I think the first thing we need to do is. Um, Obviously, we should talk about the whiskies that we are going to be drinking for the next half an hour or so. Yes. Um, it is nine o'clock in the morning for me, um, <laughs> but I'm a professional, so I have whiskey. You're at a more reasonable hour. You're early evening in, in Paris. So what, it, what do you, it is what 6 do you have? It's 6.09 p.m. Yeah, it's 6.09 p.m. Look, I'm going to be honest with you, Dan. I'm actually – look, I'm not ashamed of myself by, my, by this because it actually is like my drinking, uh, my drinking scotch. Uh, it's like my sort of like everyday scotch, which by the way, is now going to sound obnoxious because it's not totally cheap, but, but it is like my dream. But I, just to be clear before I reveal it, we, so we just moved to Paris four weeks ago and we have spent the better part of four weeks just walking around Paris with two children who don't want to be owned by us anymore because we're walking so much. And every single time, every day that we walk, I saw like a specialty whiskey store in whichever arrondissement that we were in. And I'm like, I got to remember that because I got to get back here before I do this podcast. And then I got to like two days ago and I couldn't remember where, and I didn't write it down. I didn't take a picture. I didn't do anything. And so I had to go to like my local store, which was lovely. I want to be very clear. Uh, the, the, the woman behind the counter is a lovely, lovely person who sees me way too often, almost nightly. Uh, and I bought my, my just like go-to, which is Dalmore 12. Okay, no, Dalmore 12. I was worried what you were going to say then. You'd be like, so this is my daily drinker. I've got a bottle of Bullet. Um, so, no, Dalmore 12 is very, very respectable. Look, Dan, Dan, Dan my, my name is Patrick McManus. I'll, <laughs> I'll, drink, I'll drink something made in a bathtub if you give it to me. I mean, it's not really – like, I don't have standards. Really, I, don't, I like, like really nice, but I'll also drink bathtub, and I'll be perfectly happy in either – in either direction. So fantastic. 
Especially no. it's free. What are you drinking? So double twelve is great. So I, I try and pair my whiskey with my guest. And I was thinking, what should we do? Should we do it off from one of your TV shows? Should we do something around your oh, wow. name? And I decided instead, actually, I'll just do something on the fact that you're in France. So oh. I don't I don't have wine, but um, I have uh, Glenfiddich Grand Cru, which is a 23-year-old Glenfiddich, which is finished in champagne casks. So um, I, I got to be honest, Dan. I don't think we should do this anymore today. <laughs> I, I feel I feel already I feel so one up and I actually also feel completely ashamed <laughs> that I didn't think about getting something like that. Like that is maybe had I made it to the whiskey store, I would have been able to find that. But I just feel like a loser right now, which to be fair, I sort of am. So that's cool. That's fine. So we're just um, solidifying. Cheers. So cheers, Sante. Yes. So um, mm. By the way, another quick, very quick anecdote to the last. And by the way, we're never getting to any of your questions because I'm just going to anecdote for a while. Uh, so, so all day today. So it's very hot. I don't. You used to be a, uh, a diplomat. So okay. did you? Have you spent any time in Paris? Not uh, well. Actually, yes. So I uh, was lucky enough. I had two jobs. One, I was the British government's relationship manager with Airbus. So we had to go to Paris. I think four or five times a year for meetings um, uh, with the French government. But then also when I was, I was head of commercial in the embassy in Berlin, my counterpart in, obviously it was in Paris and we'd often have European meetings and I would come and the British embassy in Paris is the most extraordinary building. Um, and it's next to the French president's house. So it's a hell of a street. And uh, we spent, we spent, I spent not an enormous amount of time in Paris, but enough. I know, you know, I know my way around a bit and I love, you know, even though English people don't like French people on on principle as a historic thing there, (laughs) I very much like French people and enjoy It all goes back to our revolution. It's our fault. It's entirely our fault. So I get that. So I have have a couple of things off of that, which is so, so then you know, having spent time here, that for reasons that still elude me, and I want to be very, very clear, I have utmost respect for where I am and for the people of this country, and I'm in no way denigrating their good name, but they, they don't believe in air conditioning at, at all. It's like not a thing. And so we've had to get you very used to like this apartment that we're in, which is just, it's currently, I'm wearing this suit and this shirt and pocket square for you, but I got to be honest with you, there's sweat just pouring down the back of this jacket right now. Because it is like it's about 143 degrees in this apartment right now. And that's just the way that it is. But so I like I was like, so I was like all day. I'm like, I got to find a bag of ice. I have to find a bag of ice. I can't I can't just drink this, you know, this neat. Right. Like I'm just going to die. And so we it took me. I'm not joking. Six stores to find a bag of ice in in my in my neighborhood just so I could have an, an ice cube in in my in my scotch this morning so that's anecdote number one anecdote number two coming off of you talking at the british embassy is that we were walking around and we stumbled on it we didn't know where it was and we just stumbled on it and in front of it right now are two massive i'm saying like maybe like two story uh tall portraits of the queen and one of them is from her coronation and one of them is a present day and one of my kids, we got there, we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is so cool. And we got there and one of my kids goes, did she die? <laughs> like, and then to be fair to my nine-year-old, it sort of looks like maybe something went wrong, but I, we had to assure her that everything was, or assure him that everything was still okay. She was fine. So it's a beautiful, it's an amazing building. It's, it's a really amazing, amazing building. building. 
Um, yeah. And, and and that I know of, the Queen is very much still alive. Um, although there was, it, when she was not well, not all that long ago, American Twitter decided to start rumours that she was not alive anymore in a very American Twitter way, but she is very much still alive. Well, I gotta be honest. With you, I am. I, I. I don't know if I will ever reach a level of success in my career in which Twitter decides to decide that I've died as a gag. I. I actually think that you will have made it officially in whatever your career is when Twitter decides that you you've died before you have. A hundred percent. On my. So I have three podcasts. My football podcast. Uh, last week or soccer as I'm assuming it's soccer oh, it is, yeah so I, I had uh... I had Adam Richmond the man versus food host um, mm-hmm. and we didn't actually talk about this phenomenon but it was on my list of questions I nearly asked him was the whole thing where the internet thought he was dead for a while <laughs> um, so you know but he's famous enough that people could think he's dead but let's so I actually want to ask you about your in the your work in Hollywood before I do I not necessarily in a rude way, but maybe in a rude way. I'd like to ask. So there is a view of Americans and how mm-hmm. they carry themselves when they are abroad. Um, mm. So I'd be fascinated to know what sort of American in Paris are you? Are you sort of you know walking around in your shorts with your camera around your neck, shouting loudly and saying everything's better in America, or are you the <laughs> the dignified, refined? mature grown-up version with a pocket square walking around trying to speak french but badly but at least trying so it's so it's it's uh for those of you listening is this going to be a video release or is this just audio it's just audio but i'm going to use a screenshot because you are wearing a pocket square which is either is it it's either a real one it's a hanky or or it's just a piece of white card that you've put in there to make it look like a a pocket square it's a real one, and for your listeners, the reason that I am that I am wearing what I'm wearing right now, which is a which is a suit jacket, a, a, a button down, and a, and a pocket square, and and I stop there because, like, past my shirt are gym shorts. So I just want to let everybody know <laughs> that that's what's happening down there. It's it's not it's not a pretty sight. But anyways, I I'm wearing this for two reasons. The first reason I'm wearing it is because. I felt like it was important to 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 be respectful to my host, who is uh, having you know whiskey and scotch with me right now at, at nine a.m. his time. That was part one. Part two is, is that there is a lovely woman who has worked uh, with me at uh, Universal for like the last like year plus. Uh, she has had she's been plagued with me, and I've been blessed with her. And we've got a uh, a running joke. Her name's Emily. We have a running joke uh, that she has to always fix my pocket squares before any event that we do because I'm a very I I love suits and I love I love dressing up uh, and Emily has has made me look uh, look better at every event I've done so really this is an homage both to you and Emily uh, at UCP uh, to answer your question uh, I will say that I am mortified at being an American in Paris. Uh, I a hundred percent. And by the way, I'm very concerned. I'll be honest with you. I said this to my wife before. I'm very concerned due to the scotch that I might say something really inappropriate that ends my career. So I'm, I'm like, know that everything is on tape delay right now as I like process what I'm going to say, just so <laughs> that I don't end my career here. But, uh, I will say that, that I, that I'm very proud American, but I believe that we 
get some things wrong. And one of the things that I think that we get wrong is this belief that everybody all over the world should just be, you know, American, right? And so I am actually mortified by the fact that I am terrible at foreign languages. And I wish desperately that someone had forced me to learn French a long time ago. And so basically between my wife who speaks French um, and basically I follow her around and I like, I do like these weird eye contacts between the person she's speaking to and her trying to like pay attention and Google translate and a series of classes that I'm taking, I am desperately trying to speak French. And so I basically start every single conversation at every single shop with pardon moi, uh, uh, mon, uh, uh, pardon mon français, uh, parlez-vous anglais? And that's like basically what I got. But uh, but my kids are starting school on Tuesday. My wife is starting school on Tuesday, which is why we're here in Paris. And I am taking an hour of French classes every single day, Monday through Friday, while they are while they are at school. So I'm trying my best, and I'm not just speaking loudly. It, it, it's it's very obviously it is tricky when you're in a country where you don't speak the language. I when we were when I was a diplomat, we were posted places. They would give you language training. And I did my best, but um, and we had to learn the language. But we often found ourselves, I had the wrong words. So I remember once I was in Germany and I'd done all my language training. I was hosting a lunch where we were talking about re- renewable energy. And I, I had to give this sort of presentation oh, no. to about 25 people. And it was all great. And I talked about renewable energy and I talked about, you know, wind turbines and I talked about... Um, how it's all cheaper than Carl. We had in German, all in, in German, German, which was great because I'd wow. learned business German and then the food was served and I didn't have a fork. And I remember turning around to the waiter. And I'm like in German, I'll be like, I need it. And I'm like, I don't know the word for fork. So I could tell you about like tariffs. I could tell you about all of this stuff. But I didn't, I hadn't learned the fork word. So we learned weird, weird business language where I could do lots of things, but I couldn't like, find the toilet but i could tell you why you should invest in the uk so it was uh you know, there's different ways <laughs> of learning amazing. these languages <laughs> um wait but- so wait so so no no i'm not going to let this go here i know that, by the way for your listeners this is going to be uh this is going to be three times the usual uh the, the usual running time of this podcast i'm just letting you know i'm taking up i'm taking up this part one part two and part three because uh, i have questions for you like so so you were about where can you list the number of places that you were posted. And then I don't want you to sit. I only want you to answer what was your favorite posting, if you can, without like jeopardizing. Your, yeah, no, it's fine. I, I didn't actually know. do that many. So because I, I had a career before I, I was a journalist for 10 years before I joined the government. Um, so I was only in the diplomatic service for eight years of my 12 years in government. So I only did, mm. I did two postings although it ended up being three cities, but in two countries. So I was in um, Dusseldorf in Germany for about mm-hmm. a year and a half, and then Berlin for two and a half years. And then I was posted to Los Angeles, um, where the language the language barrier still existed, but it was just a little, it was a little bit easier to, to break through. Um, Man, look, I'm from America, and I don't, I don't understand people in Los Angeles. So I, I don't, I mean, I, I completely understand that. So do, do you remember in the podcast of which we will not speak, 
that I that I talked about uh, that I talked about my wife's previous career. That she yeah, you did. So she day. was so she wasn't a diplomat. But she, I think she worked in what is the British equivalent of the British Council. She was in the sort of she no. She was development. She was USAID. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she, USAID for international development, and so we lived in Mongolia and we lived in Zimbabwe, and uh, and then we were posted to DC, which is DC. But but I was always, in fact, we were in Amsterdam last weekend visiting friends of hers who were in the State Department, who uh, who had to who had to take Dutch and FSI, the Foreign Service Institute, which is like our equivalent of what you took for German. I, I was always jealous. I was both jealous. And very happy I didn't have to go through it, right? Because it's such an intensive course. And then you, and then I don't know how it works in in the UK. I'm assuming it's the same ish. But like in the US, like you have to take a like you have to take a test, and they basically say you're like a two out of four, or you're like a one out of four, and and they have to like drag you over some like goal line to be able to post you because they still need your warm body over there, but you don't speak the language well. Yeah, it's I mean. I remember I nearly got a job in Japan and it was going to be 18 months of full-time language training before you go and do a four-year post. Right. Um, but there was a friend of mine, she did, she had to learn Pashto for a posting. Oh my God. Um, and then she did that for a year. And then by the time she'd finished the language training, it was deemed unsafe for her to go to that country and they canceled the posting. So she just oh learned, my- she learned the language and then never went. Now, I mean, she may, We've gone, you know, later, but yeah, it, it's sure. a, it's a, it's, it's a good system. You know, I got, I got to learn a new language and then obviously That's I got great. moved to, to Los Angeles without much of a language barrier. Um, do you mind if I actually continue asking you questions? Cause it's my podcast, not the other way around. I don't know. I kind of really, but you have to understand something. Yes. The answer is yes. But I need six more seconds where I'm like, I would much rather talk about your past than my present. I'm uh, just going to let you know that, but I will talk. That's why we're here. But I feel like you led a much more interesting life than I will ever lead. But I'm not sure that's entirely on. true. But what, I don't know. Why are you in Paris? So uh, I'm in Paris because my, uh, I, I, you think that you're going to get back to Hollywood, but you're not. Uh, I'm in I'm in Paris because my wife is getting a master's in urban planning at UCLA, and the second year is this pilot program that takes that she was accepted to in Paris. And so, because again, I mean this with all due respect to my home country i'm I'm not trashing it we just sort of both all we like to live overseas a lot and so this was another amazing opportunity all at the hands of my wife because i said mongolia zimbabwe right now that all i do is bring her to places in america that's it and we have this amazing opportunity for the next year to be able to our kids are going to the american school of paris she's going to Sciences po um and we will be back in uh america give or take uh 11 months from now like Give or take. So that's why we're here. And I'm and I am eating a lot of bread products, drinking a lot of wine, and realizing every day that the compare my comparison to Hemingway stops there. It has nothing to do with my writing. It's so, just that I'm gonna get fat and drunk. That's all it is. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good answer. Uh, so I can we can we now talk about Hollywood? So on the on my sure. other the other podcast, the Hollywood podcast, the whole conceit of that is we don't care about your successes. We only care about your failures and what you've learned from them. And that yeah. makes for a great podcast. And that's fine. But when you're drinking whiskey, sometimes it's nice not to be too melancholy and talk about all the failures. So, And I've done that with you. So I want to talk about your you, – you, you are successful. You've worked on some incredible shows, Dr. Death being – 
probably the most recent highest profile example of that. Um, so I, in a reverse of the other podcast, I want to hear no negativity. I only want to hear about successes. And I want you to answer questions like, Patrick McManus, why are you such a good writer and showrunner? Mm. So first of all, uh, the reason that that other podcast could go on for as long as it did is that my failures far outnumber my successes. So this is going to be a really short thing. We're going to get back to you real quick. So I'm good with this. Um, I, um, I don't. So the answer to your first question is, is that I'm not. And any meaning good writer, any, uh, any writer worth his or her salt is never going to answer that question in the positive or the affirmative. Um, I think that I mentioned this on, on the, on the other podcast that, that I, I have said oftentimes that I'm like, just like dumb enough to, to do this right. Right. Like I, 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 um, I will say that I, and I'm getting, by the way, you have no idea how uncomfortable I am right now. No, it's perfect. This is what I like. Normally it's English people. Maybe it's because you're only geographically about six, 600 miles from England. You're now finding it hard to talk about why you're good. Because in America, Americans seem very comfortable with telling us about how amazing they are. No, I, no, it's me- making me very uncomfortable. I, I have like turned this Dalmore 12 bottle cap into trash. It's recyclable now. Um, I, I, uh, I, I think that I have an, a, a, a fascination as a writer. I know that I have a fascination as a writer with family dynamics and specifically fathers and sons. And I don't want this to like suddenly become this thing in which people think that my father and I have this terrible relationship because we don't. Um, I, I, I have a weird fascination with the um, failings of people. Um, and I often write about those failings. Because you know they say that every every writer writes about what they know, so there you go. So there's the failings, right? Um, and uh, I I um, I try my best, although I fail a lot at trying to write dialogue that sounds real, like really real. Like so, like as a for instance, I'll, I'll and and I want to be very clear. Aaron Sorkin is like he's like the guy you aspire to be, right? Like he's just so brilliant and his writing is so brilliant and his dialogue is so brilliant. Um, but like, I don't think I, for two reasons, I don't think that I could ever write his dialogue. One is that I don't have his talent. That's primarily number one. That's like 95% of the, of the pie, right? The other 5% of the pie is that, is that his writing is so aspirational. His dialogue is so aspirational that like I try to make my writing very ugly um, and I think that that's something that my dialogue, right? Like, I think that's something that I do relatively well, which I could also just say, I'm not a good writer. So my writing is ugly, um, as it relates to being a showrunner. And that one's a lot easier to answer. Um, I, uh, and, and we, I genuinely love the process of, um, of leading people. Like I, I like that um but not leading people in an egomaniacal sort of sort of a way i like i like the idea of finding people who are better than me and more talented than me and smarter than me and uh, and typically they haven't had the same uh chances as me and giving them those opportunities to to shine right um and i've had that since i was a little kid like since i was like fifth grade 
I like was in the student council in fifth grade and I loved, I loved leading people like for crazy sock day, crazy hat day, crazy hair day. Uh, like I, I, like I loved gathering people and trying to, to like make things happen. And I've always loved that, but it's always been about getting people that are better than me there. And, and, and that's why my job as a showrunner is so easy because it's so easy to find people better than me, you know? (laughs) So So there um, you go. For the first 25 minutes of this podcast, Patrick was staring right down the camera at me, telling his funny stories and asking me questions. For the last five minutes, while I've been asking him why he's so good at his job, he's been staring off off camera, as it were, <laughs> looking visibly uncomfortable while giving excellent answers. Um, and just, I think, on the second one, so yeah. uh, I, I just, it's a really, obviously, I enjoyed the British levels of self-deprecation, but that's a... A really good answer because, uh, so I, I feel similarly. And recently, I uh, became president of my soccer club that I work for, which is my day job, having been sort of number two or number three, and I took over. Um, and my friends have been saying to me, "Are oh, you enjoying the job?" I said, "Yeah." As you know, I like I like being in charge and like running things. And their immediate response is, "Yeah," because you're an egomaniac. And then I try and basically say what you've said although obviously yeah. they're, because they're my actual friends they never believe me but if I was interviewed on a podcast I would <laughs> I would say what you've said which is the same thing is that I like leading people not not because I'm an egomaniac but because actually being able to take a group of people and help them achieve all of their ambitions and objectives and see them develop so you can all achieve something together and you just need somebody to just help set some of the direction and make it easier mm-hmm. for them to succeed is That's what right. leadership is about and you know in the world of show running that is probably the skill set that maybe historically has been lacking where there've been incidents in hollywood where you know the bosses have been bullies and all that stuff it's maybe it's the wrong type of showrunner and actually your version of showrunning minus all the sort of fact that you know there's no bullying there's no lawsuits you're just actually just trying to help other people be good at their job because you understand not that you're not brilliant at yours but you understand your job is to help them not just to make you look good i think is probably why you've been so successful so so i i have a couple i have a question in the comments so my my question for you is is do you believe that you are an ego or you're egomaniacal honestly so no, I, I immediately after we follow this podcast, I'm going on uh, somebody else's YouTube podcast. Thing. You're going to be hammered um, uh, <laughs> because we've got something going on at the moment. I've had to do loads of media stuff. So I was on ESPN yeah. the other day and all this sort of stuff. And I really enjoy that. I do enjoy doing the sort of public facing media stuff. And I like I, I spent my whole career in government standing up in front of crowds of whatever, however big, giving speeches. And I, I enjoy that, but not because I'm an egomaniac, because I that's something I am good at, and I use that to help the teams I work with achieve the things we're trying to achieve. So um, it looks like I think I'm an egomaniac, but I'm at, my, at heart I'm not. But my friends, rightly, because English people are never nice to their friends, would never let me get away yeah, with that. But- yeah. No. See, there's a cynical perspective, and I've noticed it over the years. And if you and I had a lot more time, I could, I could like share more stories. Like, I, I just 
there's a cynical nature to mankind, which is like if, if someone genuinely wants to help people, there always has to be an ulterior motive. It's like I've noticed it. I've, I've just I've constantly watched it and, and I've experienced it. And people have constantly questioned my motives for doing things. And and it's going to lead to the second part of your comment. Right. Which is that sometimes it's genuine. Like sometimes there are people who genuinely just enjoy being at the at the top of the triangle. But the reason to be at the top of the triangle is to try to lift everyone up up from the bottom of the triangle, right? Like that that happens from time to time. But there is a cynical perspective by mankind that is mostly rewarded by mankind, right? Right. Like there's, there's, they're not wrong 98% of the time, but there is that 2% of the time where people are genuine. Right. And, and I, and I, I have, I have dealt with that for the vast majority of my career where people are, are questioning my, my like being genuine about the fact that I really like to help people. I prefer to help people. Like, like me being successful in my job is incumbent on other people being successful in theirs. Like I can't possibly be successful without them. So why would I want to hold them down or, or I don't know, whatever it is, right? I need it. Everyone needs to row in the same direction, which then leads to what your second part is, which is that there's a, there is, there's a percentage of Hollywood that is so self-centered and egomaniacal about things that that leads to the perspective that everyone must be that way. And there is, again, there's like a, a, there's a guy, I swear to God, he's going to put a restraining order against me because, uh, because there's, there's been a couple of interviews recently in which I've, I've mentioned him, but Vince Gilligan of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, like there isn't anyone who doesn't say that he is like the nicest, kindest, most giving, most collaborative gentleman on, in the industry. And that is what I aspire to be. And I'm sure I will fail, but like, like he's an example of someone who can both be creative and be a gentleman at the same, a gentle person at the same time, right? It exists, but it's, it's hard to get people over this, the cynicism and that cynicism is well-earned in the world that we live in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, when I, I studied philosophy at university, uh, obviously a great preparation for a career running a sports team and, um, <laughs> I remember there was a unit we did. It was some Plato work around um, the selfishness of charity. And it's the whole thing about if somebody gives money to charity, they're not doing it for the person receiving it. They're doing it so they feel good about themselves. And there's yep. a whole, the whole, you know, we studied it for like three months about the whole thing. And it's fascinating. I think that applies to versions of leadership as well. That even if you're helping other people, you do get something out of that. And there's, that's allowed. Otherwise, there's no motivation to do it. Um, but you, you are, I mean, you know, from my limited knowledge of the industry and from what um, my co-host on the other podcast had told me, is you are well thought of in that sense of that you're actually seen as a nice guy, um, but also successful which is good. So let's keep asking you about success because I know you enjoy that. You enjoy talking about your successes. So why are you doing this to me? You asked me, which is one you know, of which, I'm do, I'm here on your podcast and you're torturing me. I don't understand why you're doing this to me. So you it's asked cruel. me, which, which was my favorite posting. So I'm going to ask you. So the girl from Plainville, Dr. Mm -hmm. Death. Um, and then I guess you, I know you'd obviously like everyone you've worked on smaller positions in other shows on your way up um so scrubs and ncis and so on but what was your favorite show that you've worked on 
both in terms of just the quality. I know it's an impossible question to answer, and you probably won't get work after this because you'll offend one of the studios, but I'm asking anyway. <laughs> and then I guess the second thing is, in terms of your individual contribution, which did you feel you contributed most to? So two separate questions. Really good question. It's a really, really, those are two good questions. Um, so you were also pulling out my, my, um, my resume as an actor as well when you pull up uh, oh yes yes yeah yeah yeah. no no no, absolutely no no no. that's okay that's okay uh i um so uh i'm gonna try to answer this question as honestly as possible um i will say that of every job i've ever had in hollywood my acting job and i'll I'll come back to i'll i'll give you three answers really quickly My, my acting job on chicken soup for the soul which was the very first act like job job i got in hollywood upon moving to la was a a billion trillion percent the most fulfilling job i ever had because i had uh moved across country uh i i did not i like turned down uh, law school and i was like okay okay i got something Right. So even though it was like a small role on a very small show, I felt like there was some there like I had done something. So that's an that's an honest answer, right? No, like I, I look great, back on that. That's yeah. a great answer. And there's obviously something about chicken soup for the soul being your literal chicken yeah. soup for your soul. It's good. That's a good totally. story. That's a great answer. Great Hollywood answer. Okay. Totally. And 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 in, in 15 seconds is a great story where I was led to my first trailer ever. And I arrived at the trailer and it had been robbed and, and the, the TV and the D uh, I don't even know if it was a DVD player or a VCR. I honestly don't know. It was like 2000. I have no idea what it was. It had been robbed. And this poor, like second, second AD was like, Mr. McManus, I am so sorry. We're going to get you like a better trailer. I apologize. I don't know what happened in here. And I was like, I'm in a trailer. It's cool, man. Like, it's all good. I'm not going to watch any TV. It's okay. It's going to be all right. So yeah, it was like, it was my first brush with like that too, by the way, that obnoxious, ridiculous thing, part of Hollywood, which is, oh my God, you don't have a TV in your trailer. I have to take care of that for you. And I'm like, it, we should be working, right? Not watching TV, but okay. Anyways. So, so that, that's that answer. Um, as it relates to the writing career, I will say that the, 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 the again, it's, it's, it's hard. It's like, it sucks because it sounds insincere, but like my first staffing gig, because, because again, for two reasons, the first is, is that I finally got accepted officially into Hollywood as a writer. I had like sold some stuff, but this is like my first staffing gig. Right. So that was like a big deal. And with the within my first staffing gig, I learned an extraordinarily valuable lesson in between the morning session lunch and the afternoon session of the writer's room in which the, the, one of the executive producers pulled me aside because I would not let go of my pitch in the morning session. I was a staff writer. I was the baby in the room and I would not let it go. And their advice was Patrick, you should take the next few months and learn what you're doing and just keep your mouth shut. Oh, interesting. And that was like, that was a very, and it wasn't like, Keep your mouth shut. Don't ever pitch. It was if the showrunner tells you, no, stop. Right. And there was there was a value in me being sort of healed on like the leash, right? A little bit. So that so that was that was an extraordinary 
experience on, on both the positive and the negative, even the negative being positive. Uh, and then we, what was your, what was your, your second question that I've split into three was the second half. So it's your favorite, your actual favorite show objectively, not your contributors. And then what was the second one? Your most satisfying personal contribution. Ah, uh, Oh, that's an easy one. That's really easy. So, uh, so Dr. Death season two is happening. Uh, I am not creating it or writing it. There's a woman, an extraordinarily talented woman by the name of Ashley Michael Hoban. Uh, she, uh, is creating season two of Dr. Death and show running it. She began as a director's assistant on Marco Polo, which was the first show that I like sort of co 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 show ran, but really I was just like eyes wide being like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Um, and she, and I, and I, and we met and I saw something in her that she was just an extraordinarily hard worker, lovely personality, funny, fun. And the next year she became my assistant. And over the course of the last 10 years, she has risen through the ranks uh, in no way because of me, but because of her and because of what I saw in her as a director's assistant back 11, 12 years ago. And I have my I genuinely believe that my greatest contribution to this industry is exemplified in people like Ashley Michael. Um, that I, uh, there's another man who is better than me in every, every way, shape or form named Mamadou Garba, uh, who also was like a sort of a lower level who came in with me, who's now off sort of co-show running a man named Matt White, who is on his way, who became, who was my assistant as well. Um, I genuinely believe that, that if I've done my job right, uh, that I've left behind a group of people who, um, who've risen to the top. And have risen to the top not because of anything other than their own hard work and their own talent. And and I hope that there are four times that number of people by the time that I kick the bucket. I, I really I I, w- I would I don't need Emmys. I don't need Globes. I don't need you know awards. The idea of leaving behind a legacy of people who are genuinely good at their jobs is is that's enough. That's really enough. So Ashley Michael is my first. I'm so excited about what she's doing with Dr. Death season two and, and she's going to kill it. She's already killing it. So that's a fantastic answer. Um, so very irritatingly because you wasted the first 10 minutes of the podcast trying to ask me questions. <laughs> um, we're actually running out of time a bit, which is a great show. Let's because, just do part two. Well, I'll just say my ego maniacal part, it, my ego maniacal nature is saying, let's just do another hour. Let's just I, do it. I would like to do another hour. Unfortunately, I don't know if I mentioned for my ego maniacal nature, I'm doing a you live on someone else's show know, and go and talk about myself and how great I am at everything and something about my <laughs> team as well. Um, so, uh, but I, I, I want to, if we can make this work uh, with time zones, I would like actually to do a second part because this has been extraordinary. But we have time for our final question. Yeah. Which we ask every guest and you're going to have a great answer because you've had great answers to all of the questions so far. It's a lot of pressure. Um, a lot of pressure. So, All final right. question is: If you could drink any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? What would it be? And where would it be? Oh my God! You you can't like give me this as a heads up before we sit down and and meet. 
Well, if you'd bother to listen to the last 89 episodes of the podcast, then you'd know we ask every guest this question. But obviously, you were too busy, you know, being famous I, in Hollywood to listen to my podcast. So, by the way, that is that is, <laughs> by the way, that is both totally fair uh, and, and grossly unfair at the same time. There's there's no there's no question about that. Um, so why don't we start in reverse uh, and talk about who, dead or alive, dead or alive. Dead or alive. Arguably fictional fictional characters as well, although I don't think we've had that yet. But any anybody, dead or alive, famous, personal, whatever it is. Um Yeah. Um I th- th- there's no good there's no good answer here because I want to come up with somebody like that is like really um sort of like off the beaten path, but, um, okay. I, I can't, I can't under the pressure. And because I didn't do my homework, I suck. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to say, uh, that I would love to drink whiskey with Lyndon Baines Johnson. Um, and the reason that I would like to do that is because I've always believed that, So I, I love politics. It's, it's sort of my favorite thing, uh, even more than writing. I, I've, I'm sort of obsessed with politics. And everybody always says that Lincoln was the greatest president that ever lived for the United States. And, and you, can't, you can't wholly argue with that. But because of the nature of America, of the United States, and the nature of its politics, um, I don't believe, and look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you could that you could question Lyndon Baines Johnson about, but I don't believe there was ever a more effective president in terms of figuring out how to manipulate the legislature to get what he what he wanted. Right. And again, I could criticize. We've had another three hours to criticize LBJ. But like I, I have always sort of wanted to I've been fascinated by him as someone who took the mantle in one of in one of America's darkest hours and sort of bridged it in a second one with, you know, and and had the and had the um gent- and had the the wherewithal to understand that he shouldn't run for a second term, which is like anathema to politicians in America, right? We're having that conversation right now about Joe Biden, right? Mm-hmm. But this this man like genuinely said, "No, that's it." I'm I'm calling it quits. So I, I there's a there's a lot of him I'd like to get drunk and 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 find out like sort of what his thought process right. was. As right. it relates to the, to the to the to the whiskey or the scotch, I I I I wish that I could say that it was some like Isle version of it, right? Like I just I can't do smoky. Uh right. and and so I will say that one of my like all, most of my favorite scotches that are not Dalmore 12 are Japanese whiskeys. Okay. So you sort of like pick any one of the Japanese whiskeys and I'm not just kicking the, I'm not kicking the can. Like you pick any of them and I really, I have a, a real affinity for them. So I know it's not giving you a specific one. I know it's not as sexy as the one that you're drinking today. Uh, but, but that is, that's, that's how I, I would go with LBJ. Okay. I, mean, I, uh, I, I enjoy Japanese whiskey, not least because it's basically scotch made in Japan in terms of the style of it. Um, so, yeah. um, okay. So LBJ with a Japanese whiskey. Where? Wait, wait, so can I turn it around on you? 
where, 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 um, so my favorite, uh, my favorite city in the world, uh, and I know this is, this is gonna go, it's not good. Uh, I love Washington DC, uh, more than anything. I am a Washington football fan, baseball fan, not hockey fan, not basketball fan. Uh, but since I was a very little boy, I, I, I mean, as we talked for the next hour about DC, DC has been my, my favorite city. Um, and I am particularly fascinated by, uh, cemeteries in Washington, DC. Um, and I know, so I know we have very little time, very little time, uh, left, but, uh, there's a cemetery in Georgetown, uh, that I used to, so I would write when I wrote Dr. Death, I would go for like half the day into the Georgetown public library. And then the other half of the day I would go and read in the, uh, in the Oak Hill cemetery in Washington, DC. And, uh, interestingly, that is the same cemetery that is the basis of Lincoln and the Bardo, which is a great book. If anyone wants to read that book. Um, and I would, you know, I would probably say that I would like to have whiskey with LBJ in that cemetery in Georgetown. And there's a great history to that, which is that, which is that Lincoln's son, uh, son, uh, who died of tuberculosis was buried in a friend's crypt for a number of days, which is the basis of Lincoln Lombardo. Um, and then was eventually moved, I, I believe to Illinois, I think he's in Illinois right now, but I know it sounds morbid, uh, but that's, that's what I would say. As a, a fast, uh, you know, for an answer you'd obviously not prepared for because you hadn't listened to the podcast before, um, that was a fantastic answer. So LBJ with a Japanese whiskey in a Washington cemetery. Um, I don't think anyone else will come up with that answer. So look, um, I'm sorry that we couldn't speak for longer, but Patrick McManus, an American doing his best to be in Paris. Thank you very much for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much. And and honestly, whatever podcast that you have that you will invite me to, I will uh I will do, uh, except as it relates to soccer. Uh so if you do American football, I'll be there all day long. Noted. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for the I love scotch. 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 And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>